Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Snapshot Episode 59. I'm Brendan Patrick, joined always by Marvel Snap Phenom, KM Best. KM, your week in Marvel Snap, sir. I have opinions on the metagame. A lot of people like to point to metagames where you can play a lot of decks as proof that this metagame is good, to use (laughs) diversity as the argument for why a card game metagame is a good one. And I think we are in the rare metagame right now where that heuristic is simply not true. We're in a very diverse metagame, but also it sucks really bad. Or not even not necessarily really bad. Like the diversity keeps it from sucking as bad as it could, right? There's a lot we're in a metagame where you are able to play a lot of different decks. However, the best decks are things people straight up hate. Just yeah. hate it. Like and the other downside of a diverse meta is uh since everyone is able to play a bunch of decks, right? Everyone's gonna find the deck that they hate. <laughs> Whether do you hate Eliath? I've got terrible news for you. Do you hate Hella? I have even worse news. Do you hate Shang Chi? Awful news for you, right? Like it's it's a metagame where I would I would describe it as follows, right? It's the patient zero is Saros. Mm-hmm. All tech answers to everything. In answer to that, Hella arises because it's the one dumb bullshit deck that doesn't die to Sarah. And then people are like, okay, well, if I can't beat Hella with Sarah, what if I just do mostly the same thing, but with Loki? And everyone knows how much people hate that. And the, in the meantime, uh, like the, the, the entirety of tier two and like some Loki decks are all also playing Eliath. <laughs> and so yep. you have, and then, and then there's, then there's, you know, Sheenot chugging along, Thanos chugging along, Destroy chugging along, real decks that are good, but then there's just like, they almost exist entirely outside of the moving part of the metagame where like those decks, if you picked them up two months ago and you've been playing them, they've been good. They've been slightly worse. They've been slightly better, but they've been good. And everything else is what's changing around them. And they're just moving up and down, floating on the tide. And I, I think that's cool, right? But yeah, the part of the metagame that's actually new this week is 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 very not fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I actually like the metagame. Um, I've been playing quite a bit recently. I think that I enjoy the metagame because uh, for a lot of the past seasons, I've been just hitting infinite, getting my rewards, and playing Conquest whenever I'm bored. I just didn't really have an interest in the grind. And for some reason, the spark just was relit for me. So I've been playing a lot. I've been on ladder. And I've liked the diversity. I have liked the diversity. Yeah. But I, I 100% agree with you. It is a massive... Um, I don't know what you would call it, but it happens a lot in card games where people will look at the diversity of a metagame and immediately equate that to the health yes. of the metagame and the enjoyability of a metagame. And I, I don't think that they're synonymous whatsoever. What I will say is I, I actually really enjoy this metagame, but I find myself being frustrated more in this metagame than I have any other. Because like you mentioned, at every, at every axis possible, there are cards that are going to piss you off. You're going to get Shang-Chi'd, you're going to get Eliath, a Loki's going to copy your entire hand, a Sarah deck is going to barely play the board and blow you out with two tech cards, like, it's just how it is. And then, and then a Hella player is going to make objectively incorrect plays throughout the game, but still win. Um, Hella, Hella is, like, my least favorite part of this metagame, <laughs> yeah. but it's hard for me to actually get that mad at it existing, when the only reason it exists is because anyone who wants to play, like, 
you know, people want to play combo decks, right? But they fucking can't because they all get completely annihilated by Sarah. So it's just like, okay, we have one combo deck that doesn't do that. And so I'm going to play it. And you know what? I respect that. Like if, if you if you are like a combo deck player and you're just like, God damn, I really I, I living tribunal totally unplayable right now. You're right. And so I, I do consider this in some way Sarah's fault, where like mm. Sarah is the thing setting the baseline and limiting you to. OK, so, so here's what you can't do. These are the rules that Sarah enforces, right? What you can't do uh, play ongoings. Mm hmm. Play stuff that dies to Shang-Chi before turn six. Uh, play things that rely on energy discounts. Mm -hmm. uh, play, you can't, you also cannot play uh, highly investing in one drops. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you can't do any of that stuff. Sorry. I just like, I would like you to know that you can't do any of that. And so like, if you're a combo deck, you're just like, well, fuck me then, right? There, like, there is one more combo deck though. There is one mm. more combo deck that is playable, actually. Are you stretching the definition of combo deck here? Or no, are you stretching this is, the this is of combo playable? in the strictest definition, actually. So are you stretching the definition of playable, then? Maybe. Okay. It's called Phoenix Force. Yeah, uh, you're stretching. Okay, <laughs> yep. No, no <laughs> Phoenix Force is fucking good. And the reason why people don't think Phoenix Force is good is because they don't know how to play the deck, and I didn't know how to play either. There was a document, a PDF. I don't know if you know about this. You probably do. Are you talking about Jet? Yes. He released yeah. it. It's... Really, really, really well done. Um, and some of the stuff, if you played Phoenix 4 before, if you're very familiar with Marvel Snap, it's going to be pretty obvious. But some of the order of operations things that you can do and how often that, that deck should be just not playing out its curve, waiting for the combo pieces and investing into uh, specifically the Phoenix, 4 line, Phoenix Force line or its secondary and tertiary game plans, it's a fascinating deck. And I have to big shout out to Jet because that document was I'll, I'll try to link it in the description. Um, and it was completely done by him. He streams in Lambie's Discord, from what I understand. But it was super well done. And Cam, honestly, I'm in love. I found love once again. I thought it would never come back. I thought I, it was, I was going to be lonely for the rest of my life as they got rid of Galactus. But I am here, and I am back, and me and Phoenix Force. We've got I a long like time Phoenix to Phoenix Force, but I feel like Phoenix Force... Like, first of all, like Jed is a player whose opinion I, I deeply respect, and I have talked to about for about this deck and other decks. He's one of the many people I talk with. Mm -hmm. um, Phoenix Force has always been something only he has been able to succeed with. Like, and I don't know exactly if that is a mastery thing or a lack of familiarity playing against it thing. But I think the issue I have taking it 100% seriously as a deck is that in any metagame, Jet will be like, yeah, this is the best deck. And so I <laughs> I find it a little hard to believe that it often is. I don't think it's the uh, best deck. I think it's really, really, really good. I think it's way better than I thought it was. That's what I'll I say. mean, I also think it's way better than you thought it was, but that's sort of like beside the point, right? Like, I think that it benefits very heavily from a lack of familiarity with how big it actually can go. I.e. people making bad stays, people making bad snaps. And that when we saw Phoenix Force actually show up and attempt to become meta, it was very quickly a situation where people were just like, oh, I get it. I don't need to deal with this anymore. And I think Hela's superpower is that it tricks you into thinking a stay is a good idea. 
I think that's Hela's superpower, oh, and I, nobody does that against I th- Phoenix I think, Force. Well, I actually think Phoenix Force does that too, because Phoenix Force won't deploy to the board sometimes till turn three, and it's actually optimal. And they can early snap based off a very powerful hand. And your opponent has no information whether to retreat or not. All they have is locations. And you have That is it. true. And you have you will literally have a nut draw. Well, in you're your getting hand. two. You're not getting that sick yeah, that, that double on the back end. They still do make mistakes. So like things like Doc things like Doctor Strange, the Alioth as the tech card in the deck can still help you win those like endgame scenarios where you cheek out the four or the eight. But in terms of getting two, yes, like the deck is very powerful in de- in deploying literally zero information and having a hand that is virtually unbeatable by most decks in the game, which is um it's multiple man plus destroy Phoenix Force on four, and then some move cards as you progress into turn five and six. It's yeah. crazy. It's really you fun. You get deck. arbitrarily large, and that is a good thing to do. I, I and I, I do think that is that is solid. It's just the cube profile is very dependent on your sneaky twelfth card. Like right now, I know Jet's been playing Loki in there, mm-hmm. which I actually think is super sick. But like. <laughs> uh i i uh it's just like a lot of your cube profile is dependent on on just doing that right and i uh i i'm a little lower on phoenix force than most are i think yeah. i i or not not than most are i'm actually probably higher on it than most people are i'm a little lower on it than you are <laughs> well I think-, I think that you are you're misconstruing enthusiasm for my opinion of its power level um i think that Hold if on. You're- can we can we rewind here uh, we have an editor right can we rewind and go back to where brendan was saying i think the deck is really 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 good that doesn't mean and it's then, the best. It's really, really good. It's a good deck. Like we're in a meta game where you can play that, almost like, anything. I I don't know where I don't know that that's true, is my issue. Mm. Right. Like I, I am a little lower than really, 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 really good. I mm. think it is passable. You know what I mean? Like it's like there's probably a lot of decks I'd recommend over it if you are anyone that is not named Jet. <laughs> like it's, but, uh, uh, I don't know. Jet Jet did put out some good information if you're trying to be mm-hmm. like someone named Jet. I think that there's definitely a lot of information that was put out in regards to the deck that would have taken me a long, 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 long time to figure out. And it is readily accessible and it's explained in a very uh, easy to understand manner. So it's, I, I would recommend giving the deck another try if you haven't yet. But I do, if, if I was hyper-focused on climbing right now, like if I needed to get to a certain rank, I'd probably play the Saratech deck. I I'd think probably play like, there, there are probably like seven decks I would play before Phoenix Force. Six, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I, am I gen- can guarantee there are three. And then, like, there's probably three more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think for me, uh, there's a few, but I mean, they're, they're all pretty similar. I mean, I'm also, I'm in, like, top 1,000, so I'm not in the hyper-competitive, like, top 100 bracket yet. So uh, I think my opinion is going to be a bit more flexible than yours because the margins I'll are much I'll probably end up playing Phoenix Force if the metagame devolves even further into Loki stuff. Because that's mm-hmm. like the one that that's the actual use case for Phoenix Force for me is like, oh, boy, there's, there's a lot of Loki running around there. Like that's that's when I find it to be the most useful. And we haven't hit that point yet. But who knows? By the time this podcast comes out, maybe we will have. But like that would be the trigger for me, like saying, OK, it's time to put Phoenix Force on the tier list is the meta shifting in such a way that like, you know, 20 percent of the metagame is Loki and like 50 percent of high infinite is Loki. And suddenly this is just like the easiest thing on Earth. Yeah, I'm interested to hear what other people's opinions are on the meta because um, I think in general, like the highly diverse metas, they get a better reputation than maybe the top end players have. Like they have a 
the general player base tends to have a better opinion of the metagame than the top end players do for the same reasons that you outlined earlier. So I'm interested to see if people enjoy it um, as much as I think they do, because I genuinely feel like if you're going to queue ladder and you're um, even relatively high infinite. So if you're in the top 1000, you're in the top 2000, there's so many decks that you can queue that are totally competitively viable, but it's true. There's yeah. In terms of frustration points, uh, yeah, there's a lot of cards out there that are uh, being played in the metagame that you need to consider, and it's almost impossible to play around all of them sometimes. Um, so it's an interesting metagame. Let's get into the news. So kick it off with the OTA. We had Omega Red, um, four or five stat lines, same thing, but it used to say ongoing if you're ahead by 10 power here, plus four power to other locations. Now it says ongoing if you're winning here, plus three power to other locations. Um, this seems like a pretty significant buff. I was able to actually use this in the decks that I climbed to infinite with. Uh, there's super, super giant decks, um, which is, I, I don't know. We'll talk about that card in the release of that card, but actually, you know, I'm an Alioth believer. Uh, I just like playing the card. I like blowing up unrevealed cards. Um, so it was fun to play. Uh, Omega Red is a clear example of the disparity between four drops and every other cost on the curve. Mm-hmm. It is yet another four drop that is like, ah, oh, I'm a four five, but I'm actually like a four ten plus, right? And it is, uh, I'm, uh, it's not unplayable. It's like fine. It's competitive, right? Like it, it, it's a card you can play. Absolutely. But it's like what the fifth best four drop. Yeah, I mean, the Super Giant decks higher. Yeah, the Super Giant decks. I just uh, we'll talk about Super Giant in a bit. I'm saving my stuff. We're talking about Omega Red now. We'll talk about Super Giant later. But like, I don't know. I saw Spyro running Omega Red and Loki, and it's like, you know, sure, whatever. Go off. Right. Like, that's fine. I don't really care. Um, It's probably not 100 percent optimal, but it's like 95 percent. It's close. Right. You know, it's super. It's not a bad card. It's a good card. You'll catch people by surprise with it. And that that really can make up for any kind of card being bad, right? So what I'm getting at here is holy shit, four drops are too good. Well, wait, <laughs> yeah. Once this podcast, like the day this podcast is releasing on a Monday, on Tuesday, there's a 410 that's going to be released as the new card. I mean, it's just like, for- Okay, like, guys, four drops are, and I, I think th- the more I think about it, the more like I find it hard to make this a good YouTube video. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to just like give the game away a little bit here. But I think it was smart for the designers to be like, oh, four, that's the cost you can't play two of on the final turn of the game, right? Yeah. Four, you can't play two of those on the final turn of the game. That's where we can put these big swings like Shang-Chi and Enchantress, because those are cards that you want to play on the end of the game, right? And if you're only playing one of them and you're also playing a two drop, that actually is a reasonable sacrifice to make compared to the power at the other costs. And like that feels very basic and well thought out to me. And for that reason, it's like, okay, I actually think it doesn't, it actually kind of does make a ton of sense why like four drops are balanced the way they were, right? Like, because yes, this disparity does exist. Four drops are way bigger compared to their vanilla than anything else, right? That is objectively true. But the reason we are so punished with them, I've come around, I've done an entire full circle on this. The reason we're so punished with them actually is Zabu. Yeah. Because if it, that disparity would still exist if Zabu didn't exist, but it would be like, fine. 
because you wouldn't have an option to opt out of playing three drops, mm-hmm. right? Like you wouldn't be able to opt out of that, right? If you actually had to pay four for your four drops, there's no more Shang Darkhawk final turns. There's no more playing two lane winners on the final turn. There's no more of that shit. Yep. And so I actually, I have, I, I used to be like, oh, it's not a Zabu problem because the disparity exists independent of Zabu, which it does. It does exist independent of Zabu, but it is a Zabu problem. Because the thing that allows you to exploit the disparity is Zabu. Disparity isn't inherently a bad thing. It becomes a bad thing when it becomes exploited. That's Zabu. Yeah. I think the entire game right now is worked around Zabu, and Zabu is the most powerful card. I think it's more powerful than Miss Marvel. Miss Marvel is a ridiculous stat line, probably will get changed at some point, but Zabu, Zabu is dictating the entire metagame and is dictating most of Marvel Snap deck building right now. There's what there's a few serv- serviceable three jobs that make their way into the list. Mobius, which is a, a tech card, uh in its own right, but then also Gladiator, which is a it's way above it's rate. It's the only three drop that has the rate of the good four drops. It's the only one. It's the only one. Um there's also a two drop that's of similar rate. I mean, two. Drop, it's not the same argument, but there's like Maximus. Maximus. And like that. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, the exactly. only two drop that has the rate of but, the good four drops. But then there's tons of four drops that that break yeah. this paradigm of what is a normal rate. And yeah, Zabu yeah. is making all of that possible. I so. think it's actually cool that like I actually totally get it, right? Because it's like okay, four drops break the paradigm of what's normal rate because that's where you have the break point, right? The break point between three and four really does matter. Yep. Until Zabu exists until Sarah exists. And so like, if you look at the base game of Marvel Snap, which is probably before any of those cars even entered anyone's mind, it makes perfect sense why, sense why they made these design decisions. And then later on, the implications of those design decisions became much more visible. Yep, 100% agree. I would be, I'd be interested if anybody has a counter argument to that, because I, I genuinely believe that that is, that is the case right now. And you pointed out a perfect example too, which is double deploying a Shang-Chi and Enchantress on the final turn. That seems like something mm-hmm. that's not supposed to be possible based off their cost It's structure. like very explicitly not supposed to be possible. That's why they cost four in the first place, right? Yeah. It's and, like, uh, and it becomes like yeah. this priority game, right? Which is, I don't think that's the intention of the design is to you know lose priority in Shang and Enchantress on the final turn. Uh, it actually strikes me as quite elegant when you think of the design of Shang-Chi in a world where you can't pair it with something that wins a lane. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, oh, you're actually, I get it. You're making a sacrifice there. I yeah. get it. It's funny how we come full circle after a year, um, a year plus of Marvel Snap now uh, in global release is that the, the cost reduction in card games is such a dangerous mechanic. It's a fun mechanic, don't get me wrong, but cost reduction, it's just- That's not, where I, that's not what I'm saying and I don't agree with it. But you don't agree with it as Sarah and Zabu are completely. I think it is. I think it's a dangerous mechanic, but I think the way this argument tends to go is to say, oh, just never do cost reduction, which is horse shit and should not happen. Like people are always like, oh, cost reduction is so dangerous. It's always broken. Like, well, shut up. You want your games to have different tenors. You, you want them to feel different depending on the cards that are played. You want there to be exciting things in your game. Yes, cost reduction has to be looked at very harshly, but the idea that they should never do it like. Do you think it's that? uh, Okay, here's my thing. Do you think every game designer ever is so fucking stupid that they don't realize cost reduction is often incredibly strong and they keep doing it anyway because they're just fucking stupid? 
No, they keep doing it anyway because it's incredibly exciting. It gives games unique tenors. It gives them unique shades of of how they these games play out. It's an exciting and powerful fantasy for you to have as the player, and it's a good thing for the game. Yes, it is very strong. However, my argument is that not doing it would just turn your game into Legends of Runeterra, where it's just bleh. It's just all bleh. Everything is bleh. Like it's it's and I don't even mean that because like Runeterra had cost reduction, right? Like I just mean that like to remove such an exciting part of card games from your card game would make your game more boring. Apologies to the Runeterra people. I just used it as shorthand for boring. It's like it's a very smart and well-designed game. But like that's the kind of decision it feels like they would make, right? Where it's like. Uh, okay, this is a thing everyone, it always gets broken, so what if we just never do it? And the result is the game ends up more boring and less exciting. Mm. Well, not sure that was the argument that I was making. More pointing towards <clears throat> this concept in card games that if you recognize it and you understand how powerful it is, you can, you can also recognize and understand what cards are going to be powerful as they're released. Like, like Loki, which we're incredibly correct about. Like, it is a powerful mechanic in games. It is dictating the metagame in Marvel Snap. Doesn't mean it should not exist, but it is probably one of the most powerful things you can do in Snap is reduce the cost of cards because you break the paradigm of design. Like you said, four drop, double deploy, and turn six is just not something that was intended. Not that it wasn't intended to happen, but when they initially made Shang-Chi, they initially made Enchantress, they might have done it without the context of Zabu. And the context of Zabu I, changes I everything. believe that, yes. Yeah. All right, next one is Beast. Uh, I actually, I went to Google this to see if cost reduction actually did exist in Runeterra. And the first thing I see is a, a video from Majin Bay that's like, good thing cost reduction has never been broken in card games. And it's like talking about a cost reduction deck. It's like, this is exactly the thing that I'm talking about. It's right. Like, Look, you have to try it because it is fun and cool. I'm sorry. Like, yeah, no, cost reduction has been broken in card games before. I get it. But like, first of all, right now, I would hesitate to describe it as broken. Second of all, it's like, it's still an exciting and fun game and the gameplay is good and the metagame is balanced and like, hey, wait a minute, hold on here. Is cost reduction actually a problem or is it contributing to a solution? Like, I feel like people blame cost reduction for shit where it's like, especially in games that aren't Magic the Gathering in which free spells are almost always just like the most insanely broken thing of all time. But in a game like Marvel Snap, where there's no such thing as like tempo, you know what I mean? I think they actually have a lot more room to play around with cost reduction. Mm -hmm. I think that like, now now that Mobius exists too, especially, right? Like we have so much more room in a game with no tempo to play around with cost reduction because the main way that cost reduction is extremely powerful in other games is it gives you an enormous tempo advantage. It's either that or you're OTKing somebody. <laughs> and we don't have those either because we don't have health, right? Like this is, this is, uh, I actually think that like to have the cost reduction decks in your card game be the control decks is unique. I think, actually, like that is not a dynamic that often shows up. Cost reduction is often doing something that's like very explicitly broken. I am cheating. But it's really not doing that in Marvel Snap. It's broken by the standards of card gamers describing the best deck in the game is broken. But short of original Zabu, it's not broken, right? Like, it's not broken. 
it's just good. I'm not sure what would qualify as broken or not broken. I think it's just it is it is very powerful. I wonder if they were going to if they wanted to sort of I don't know temper the Zabu effect a bit if they would uh, target cards like Chang Chin and Enchantress or they would relook at Mobius and potentially make that card more accessible. I don't know. I would be. I would be tempted to fix the problem and not just like make Mobius two three again because that that making Mobius cheaper is just miserable for everybody. Yeah, so affects too many it, decks, I, I would right? be yeah, I would be I would be tempted to take it the other direction. Mm. Well, speaking of cost reduction, we have Beast. Beast was a three four. It is now a two two. It used to say on reveal, return your other cards uh, here to your hand. Give them minus one cost. Now it says on reveal, return your other cards here to your hand. They cost one less next turn, so they only affect the next turn. I have thought that Annihilus Bounce was. I'm gonna, I'm gonna like toot my own horn here. When Annihilus first came out, I was the first like creator, while everyone else was still in the Stone Age of debris bullshit, to just be like, "Oh, it's a bounce card. You play this Hood and Sentry in the bounce deck, and it's it's good." Right? I was the first person to do that. Like when the card came out. Uh this is bef- this is like when we still had Chavez. You can go back and look on my YouTube channel. The video will be there. And. I, after doing that, and since then, I have consistently said that Annihilus Bounce is one of the best decks in the game. Post Chavez nerf, it became probably the best of the bounce decks in the game because it was able to be a deck that had cards it wanted to draw in the final turn of the game, which most of the other bounce decks were built for Chavez more than it was. So it sort of vaulted ahead of them. Since that time, there have been four nerfs to the deck. America Chavez, obviously, we lost. Werewolf mm-hmm. by Night. Uh, we lost the point of power on Nihilus and the ability mm-hmm. to send over zeros, which you don't think the sending over zeros matters, but it is something you would use to clog your opponent some of the time. It is something that actually did matter. Because uh, even though your stuff was ones, you would put it in a location that like took power off, and suddenly you'd be able to like do stuff like that. And we lost... Uh, forgive me. I'm, oh, and we lost Beast, right? Mm-hmm. So we lost Werewolf, we lost Point of Power on Annihilus, we lost Beast, we lost America Chavez, yeah? And uh, that's four cards we lost. One of them is no longer in the deck because it doesn't go in there anymore. That's America Chavez. But what really gets me about it is the other three are actually just still in the deck. So you look at that deck we were playing back in October and you look at it now. October. No, it wasn't October. It's was like November, right? Miss Marvel season November? I'm uh, not. I think, it was, I think it was November. I want to say we've been playing it for four months, but I just forgot that it was February. And so it was like, oh, yeah, October. <laughs> but yeah, you look at that deck and the deck we're playing now is just that deck, but worse in three cards. The same deck, just worse. Uh, mm-hmm. America Chavez became Zabu to enable the new werewolf, which is worse. We are now still playing Annihilus, who is worse. And we are still playing Beast, who is worse. And this deck has just been like hit after hit after hit after hit after hit after hit. And it has fallen from what I would say was like one of the best decks in the game consistently to, I don't know, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. I like it. It's pretty good. But uh, it's definitely a lot more fair than it was. And you can really feel the impact of those nerfs in the way your final turns play out. There's so much competition for what you want to be doing on five because it's like, okay, I need these free one drops on five, but I also need to play this Annihilus before they fill the lane up. 
Uh, and then, like, there's also that same competition on four because it's like, okay, I need to play the Sentry, I need to play this Annihilus. When can I fit this Beast in? I don't want to play the Annihilus on six. They're just going to fill that lane up, and I won't get anything out of it. What if they put an armor in there? I just die, right? Like, there's a lot. The flexibility of the deck is severely reduced. Uh, first by being forced to run Zabu, losing America Chavez, the point of power on Annihilus, and now by this Beast change. Mm-hmm. I think the bounce archetype in general is taking a lot of hits. Um... It doesn't feel great. <laughs> I mean, the Angela, then the Kenny Pride, uh, America Chavez was a huge hit, and then all the hits you talked about. It's just like, I find a, this was the first deck that I tried to revisit um, uh, this season, actually. And I don't know. I just feel like it's it's missing a couple pieces to be to be at the top right now. And they just keep, uh, the thing I want to uh, highlight here, too, as well, is I think there's, there's be a plenty of non-zero people that can look at this and go, okay, this beast change, is it a buff or a nerf? I think it's a nerf. Is anyone even asking that question? For sure. For sure. Oh, well, sure then, it's a, yeah, it's, it's a nerf. Yeah, I'm sure it's a minority, but it is absolutely a nerf. Uh, I mean, in the, this is also in the context of Black Swan coming out, which we'll talk about, uh, the 3-5 that kind of goes in the bounce deck. But yeah, it is it is a bummer. It's my favorite archetype in the game. Maybe that will soon be Phoenix Force. But uh, yeah, it's just been taking a lot of a lot of hits recently. And I thought your favorite archetype in the game was Galactus. Well, that 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 one is definitely dead. I think they just they're progressively killing all my favorite archetypes. <laughs> yeah, I tried I tried to play some Galactus. It was it was terrible. Um, I actually played it uh, in the Infinite Climb of it. Played a little bit against bots, and that was the most miserable experience I've had in my life. Because they yeah, all you run, can't do it against bots. Yeah, they all run uh, both goblins nowadays. So that's fun. <laughs> that's fun. All right, last one here is Hellcare. Hellcare six ten. Uh, I used to say when you discard this, add three random cards to your hand. Now it says when you discard this, fill your hand with random cards. I mean, I'm excited by it, but I don't think this is like we're, we're a competitive Marvel Snap podcast, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, I've seen it played against me once uh, with the collector, basically in like some Wong deck. It was weird. I I, I don't think it's like awful, right? Like I've tried uh, I've tried some stuff with this card in it. You know, like this is my my, my fun little conquest deck. It's, it went from like being a one out of 10 card to like a six out of 10 card, right? But the issue is that six out of 10 cards aren't playable. Six out of 10 cards are exactly as playable as one out of 10 cards, <laughs> if we're being serious, right? And so, like, it is actually a pretty serious buff, but like, not the kind that'll matter for someone like me or presumably most of our listeners. Yep. All right, onto the season pass card Black Swan 3 5 on reveal until the end of your next turn. Your one cost cards cost zero. People act like this card is power creep. And it is in the sense that it is a 3-5 that has an all-upside ability, right? Mm-hmm. But one of the things that really strikes you when playing with Black Swan is that she's actually not power corrupt enough. The thing about Black Swan, and this is why like people talking like 2-3 Black Swan would be better, are just absolutely full of shit, right? Black Swan requires you to run a bunch of one-drops. Mm-hmm. You are dedicating multiple slots in your 12 card deck for a bunch of one drops. She needs to be big. The other thing is with one drops, how often is going from one to zero a serious advantage? How often is that a serious advantage? You have to come up with some pretty specific scenarios where it's like, okay, I was going to play, for example, Hitmonkey Mysterio and a one drop. But now I can play Hitmonkey Mysterio and three one drops. And it's like, oh, was that fucking worth doing? Like, is that actually a better thing to be doing? I don't I know. And so 
my argument for Black Swan is that her, like the idea that she's power creep is like, yeah, but her requirements are not on the card. Her requirements are the shit you have to run to get value out of her effect. Because you got to run a bunch of terrible cards. You got to be a one drop gamer. Yep. Like, you gotta be you gotta be a one drop gamer if you want to get the value out of this card. She should be like a three seven. Like that, you gotta make up for that somehow. In the current state of Marvel Snap, I'd rather have my four drops cost three than my one drops cost zero. Uh, Correct. Black Swan. I tried building quite a few decks with this, and in all of my Black Swan decks, Black Swan was probably the worst card. And that was. I've got revolution. a challenge for you. I've got a challenge for you. Come up with a combination of one drops that guaranteed has more power than a Miss Marvel. Four one drops. Put it uh, in one lane. Yeah, I don't, that'll, that's probably... I don't know. You get Ant-Man, but you can't use Martyr or Titania because they go elsewhere. Yeah. So you get Ant-Man, you get Blade, you get... That's it. <laughs> like, you, like, uh, you, if you had four free one drops, it would probably be smaller than a Darkhawk. Yeah, I just like That's it with it, it's it's fine with the like if you're bouncing hood back multiple times and you have multiple demons, I guess it can be nice with hit monkey on the final turn. Yeah. But like, again, it was just like the card was it. it it's not the, the effect was non zero and the effect was powerful in the minority of scenarios. I would yep. just rather have a way more streamlined bounce deck. And then at the end of the day, yep. I'm still playing bounce without Kitty Pride and Angela. And I'm just like, what am I doing in this archetype? <laughs> yep. It's a. Uh... Like Black Swan is a fascinating card to me because while she is objectively power creep in terms of the text and the writing on the card, this is a card that in order to support the archetype that you want to play her in needs to actually be power crept significantly further. That said, I've been playing her in Thanos. Do you know why I like her there? Because hmm. I don't have to put the one drops in my goddamn deck. <laughs> I don't have to play any one drops, any actual one drops. I can just be like, oh, this will let me get a free lockjaw pull while I play my devil dinosaur. Yeah, actually, the way I was I was considering looking at uh, Black Swan was not being a one drop gamer. Instead, looking at the 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 sort of floor in terms of value, and then basically just play a three five that you know gets you incremental yeah. value on like one to two cards that you were going to play anyway. So in something like Thanos, it's like is it good enough as just this three five stat line yeah. that gives you the additional value? But it's a very that, unimpressive the, card there. But that's like that's like yes. the only use case. <laughs> it's like exactly like it's like it's totally unimpressive. But it's like oh, I actually get it. I'm doing something with this card now. It lets me do things that I wouldn't otherwise be able to do, like play a big guy and a stone and a lockjaw in the same turn. Yeah. Yes, it is a win more, but it is a use case. Like it's it's a I don't even know if I would qualify that as a win more, but like, yeah, it's mostly good when you already have lockjaw. But yeah, like at least that's a use case. At least that's a, a, a pitch, right? Where like the other decks I see Black Swan are like, all right, I'm going to do Black Swan and then dump my hand with Hit Monkey. And it's like, OK, so you took the Hit Monkey deck mm -hmm. and you made it more vulnerable to Ghost Killmonger. Yeah. That's what you've done. You have taken the Hit Monkey deck and you've made it worse into an extremely plausible line of play. Cool. Mm. All right. Let's go into Super Giant. Super Giant's 4-5 says on reveal. All cards played next turn don't reveal until the game ends. I I have no read on this card. I love I, this card. I, 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 you love this card? Yeah, because it's, well, mostly because it's toxic. Okay, <laughs> but like, okay, here's the thing. I'm pretty sure every deck you play this card in sucks. 
right? Because you're trying to do like, I'm playing super giant offensively by getting ahead and then a lie thing. Every deck I've played against or played that tries to do that shit sucks. I'll tell you where I found super giant to actually make sense, though. Super giant makes sense if you have a giant five drop, Ronin or Dino, that's and an Eliath in your deck. Yeah. Yeah. That's when he makes sense. But you still, you, want, you still want to get ahead. What do you mean? <laughs> uh, I, I, for example, I've been playing Super Giant and Loki. Yeah. You, so the thing about Super Giant is it, you have, like, I think that even if you do have Ronin in your deck, which I do, it's a Ronin. It's basically Super Giant, Ronin, Eliath, or something along that nature. Yeah, you, need you still that. have, you have to, you have to have priority for the Eliath to be super effective. Um, but at the same time, you have to play kind of bad, not fantastic. So first of all, you have to play Super Giant on turn four. That's not great. Like, there's a lot yep. of better four drops. Um, and if you're, if you get, uh, priority taken away from you when you play that super giant, game's like almost over. It's really bad. Um, so you have to play kind of these bad cards to get this early game priority. Like, I was playing Nebula, uh, Mr. Fantastic. Fantastic. Mr. Fantastic was really, really good. Um, Lizard, things like that to get that early game priority, turn four this. The thing about this card is it was good when it first came out because people would not retreat when it was, I mean, on board, it's an absolute lock. Like, this is the kind of card, it comes down to four, you maintain priority, your opponent should assume you have a Lyoth, and the game is virtually over. Sure, they can get out of it in some niche ways, but ultimately, they're in a bad scenario, but people would stay in. I think the more people are aware of Supergiant, which at this point, they're going to be, the worse the card is in those kind of decks, and those kind of decks, it's still... That's what I mean, though. Mm -hmm. Every dedicated Supergiant deck is hamstrung by only working when it works, Right? The rest of the time, if you don't do that thing, you die. You yeah. lose. That's why she makes sense in Loki. Because you can just be like, oh, well, this plan's not going to work. <laughs> Deuces. <laughs> like, just like every other weird fucking tech card, you can just like slam her in Loki and just be like, pow, I don't have to worry about that anymore. Like all the games where she's not doing anything, right? All the games where you didn't draw your early game, you aren't curving out perfectly. You know what those decks remind me of? The decks I'm talking about that you're talking about with Supergiant are, they remind me of Leech decks, right? Mm -hmm. Where it's like, Leech can only be good if you're playing from ahead. That yeah. is when Leech is good. You have to be playing from ahead. So I Leech is right, right now. now. <laughs> yeah. Right, because Leech goes in all like all these Darkhawk decks, right? And the Darkhawk early game is like the most mid shit of all time. If you are not drawing Zabu, you are just like doing the worst shit ever. I actually think there's probably room to experiment with like the early game in that in that list specifically because of it. Because like this is exactly when Leech should be good and he sucks because Darkhawk cannot get ahead right now mm -hmm. because like it'll just be like, ha I'm the Darkhawk gamer. Ooh, fear my Horg and my skipping turn two. It's just like you just can't play Leech and you do shit like that, right? Yeah, by the way, Sarah Tech is like one of the most popular decks in the metagame. It's like, okay, you yep. getting both Shang-Chi and Enchantress is like, it's just tough. Um, Super Giant, tough. like, I don't think the decks are great to be honest. Like, the get ahead, out, like, out, the get ahead shit is, is fundamentally a joke. I, I thought it was fun to climb with, but I, I'm not playing it anymore. Um, I think the Super Giant is a really cool card, though. Uh, in terms Wait, of game can, when you say fun to climb with, hold on, I'm going to dive down here. Do, do you mean do you mean free infinite? Yeah, of course. <laughs> okay, yeah, no shit. It, that's that's what I mean by a that's, joke. That's when the card released. That's when it was fun to play with. Is oh, yeah, I'm climbing with Super Giant. These bots never see my Goliath coming. Well, 
Yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know. It's not, it honestly wasn't, <laughs> it honestly wasn't great versus bots, to be honest. It was just great. Yeah, because you, yeah, because your deck is predicated on getting ahead. So they'll leave. The bots are smarter than the people in exactly. those games. Yeah, people don't know how the bots, the bots work in that manner. Um, no. If you're behind in two lanes by turn five, they'll snap you and they'll usually stay in. There's like some other parameters that you can like AQ them easy with other decks. This is the, this is the antithesis of those decks. This deck you're gets ahead. Two or in the four, bots. baby. Yeah, it's, it's a terrible bot deck. Um, but it was fun when it first released because people were staying in games they shouldn't. You can also do some funky stuff with uh, Supergiant uh, because the cards, your turn five reveals at like the end of the game. Uh, like there's some stuff you can do with like abs man and things like that. I think it's all terrible, but it's, yeah. it's kind of cool when it happens. It's cool when it happens. It reminds me of the day one grandmaster priority Eliath decks mm -hmm. where like people have been trying to live the stream for a while. And I do think it's better than those, right? Cause you know, it's a four or five and not a two zero, but like that is a, it's like a marginal upgrade. Not like the kind of upgrade that pushes that to being real yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Ultimately, in regards to Supergiant, I think that the card is not very good. Uh, I had fun with it more than I would with like other cards that are not very powerful uh, that I would just immediately skip. I actually had you know fun playing this. Sometimes I'll queue up the deck like I, it's still okay to play. It's 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 whatever. Um, but the card isn't it. I do think that it's a cool card to have like in your arsenal. Yes. So like whip out, you know, if you're going to like yep. a tournament or something, it's like a legitimate tech card that I would whip consider. Out, whip out that super giant like I'm Drake. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You guys don't have to worry about what that's a reference to. Just uh, just let that one pass. Um, anyway, on to the bending step. First one is from Johnny. They say, hey, guys, love the podcast. At 47.4, you mentioned you think tilt comes from poker. It actually comes from pinball machines where the, where the machine will flash tilt and immediately end the game if you tilt the machine either uh, through rage or attempted cheating. I actually is knew this. Is that true? Yes, it is true. I knew this. I just forgot about it at the time. Sounds like an urban legend. No, nah, it's, it's true. It's true. I've heard, at least I've heard it before. Like I had heard of this before. I just forgot. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Um, next one is from Snapchaps Pod. They say, I love Cam's Sunday tier list and find myself refresh refreshing X and eager anticipation midday Sundays. I find Cam's Ban them for calling it X. I find Cam's tier list to be the most accurate representation of the top decks in the current metagame. Can we talk about your process for identifying ranking top decks each week? Um, I basically spend the whole week synthesizing information, which is a fancy way of saying I don't really have a process, right? I have I play a lot of Marvel Snap at a high level. I take note of what I'm seeing. I take note of what I'm playing. I take note of what people are succeeding with. And I have a very active chat room of very good players who help me both understand and uh, learn about the things that are gaps in my knowledge. It's like, why do you think I have these off meta specials with people like Husky or Big Baby or any of those people who are like tearing up infinite with something that looks weird? Uh, those are people that I talk to a lot. And so in order to make sure my perspective is broader than just saying, you know. Here, I'm going to go on a tangent. <laughs> I'm going to go on a tangent. I think a lot of other tier lists, because like when you look at like who does tier lists, the other tier lists uh, that I view myself as competing with are Marvel Snap Zone untapped. Like that's my competition. I don't really think my competition is. Uh, other YouTubers necessarily. Uh, I view my myself as competing for authority with those websites, right? And one advantage that my tier list can give you over those websites is, frankly, just looking at numbers is bullshit. 
Like just looking at numbers will tell you Brock Purdy is the best QB in the NFL. It's fucking horseshit, regardless of what happens in the Super Bowl later. But I think the data is infinitely worse when it comes to stat than that. Like, the, and that's what snap. I'm saying. Yeah. They have good numbers. They have like in the NFL, there's numbers that actually make sense, right? <laughs> and even then, the numbers are totally unable to tell you the whole story. They are fundamentally unable to account for the fact that Brock Purdy has the best yards after catch receiver in the entire game. And also the second best yards after catch receiver in the entire game. And a, a they are unable to account for that and its effect on the scheme. The numbers simply football is a very complex game. And right now, if you just reduce any aspect of football down to one number, you're probably going to look like a fucking asshole. Right. And. Snap, on the other hand. Is. Also an extremely complex game with much worse analytics. This is just people looking at clusters of cards and saying and grouping them based on their perspective and saying, here's what our numbers internally say is this deck is good about, right? Like what about how good this deck is, right? And my view is that while those numbers can be useful to. Let's say the average player, right? Let's say Johnny climbing to infinite or uh, Jack taking a shit, you know, like these guys are, you can actually probably be very well served by those tier lists. But if you want to understand or at least get my perspective on the dynamics of the metagame, why things are the way that they are and why my opinion differs from say established data, then you are going to need more time to explain it than is devoted to on those websites, in my opinion. And I, I think that I have an incredible respect for data, an immense respect for data. But if someone who hit rank one tells me some stuff, I'm going to trust that more than data gathered from people who are like 70,000 infinite. You know what I mean? Like. I, I buy data as a valuable aggregate source. But I also think that it is abundantly clear that the way top players play is different than the way people in the data play. Like, for example, the deck Dara hit rank one with has a negative win rate on untapped. Does that mean the deck is bad? No. Dara specifically built it so that he had a card in there, armor, that he thought kind of sucked, but would be able to scam eight cube games. So he could aggressively snap when a location that armor benefited from showed up. So he could aggressively snap when a location, when a matchup like Destroy showed up, right? Like this is the kind of thing that a good player playing the deck well will do. And this is the kind of thing that most people who show up in that data will not that level of aggressive snapping is beyond even someone like me. And so I think that there is just, I, I think there is just like a lack of willingness to understand just how limited the data tools we have are. And I understand if you want to look at me and say, well, KM, you're just giving your perspective. I will say yes. Yeah. I will be like, yes, I am. I'm not pretending to do anything other than that. Right. Like we had, there was like a whole gag on one of my tier lists where some guy was like, 
uh well how do you what what do you like you're just basing this on your opinion she's like yeah that's that's why it's called the cam best tier list this is mine and i base it on what i think and i think that there is this sort of pretense of objectivity that if a deck is ranked high on one of the database tier lists well it must be good right and uh that i think is not true and i'm sure the data guys know this i don't want i don't want this to sound like i'm dunking on them because both den at marvel snap zone and the people at untapped are people i i greatly respect yeah. but like yeah this is their job right their job is to take this data and use it to help you in the best way possible and i think they are doing that I think I am also doing the same thing from a different perspective. That's yeah, all. Different list for different objectives. If you're, if you're, I don't know, Andy Infinite, and you're trying to hit Infinite, and you want a deck that you can pick up and play, and has a you know a solid win rate, is well rounded, then you might find yep. one of those on one of those tier lists. If you're trying to compete at high Infinite, you probably want to listen to the players that are in high Infinite. <laughs> like it's just, I find, yeah, those deck lists for me, um, like I have even before Cam was doing the the Twitter uh, aggregate deck list. I was still following the top players on Twitter and using their deck list. That's just always been the case for me. The data is just too muddy um, and it's not granular enough for what actually goes on at the, at the higher ends of infinite. So yeah, there's also like sample size issues with, with data right now. So like if you go to untapped right now, for example, the highest uh, win rate and cube rate decks, the only decks in tier a are a uh, beta ray bill and she not, but they're a popularity sample of 1.3% and 1.6%, right? Whereas, meanwhile, uh, of decks in Tier B, Hella, Lockdown, Destroy, Thanos, Loki, Darkhawk, all of those decks are well above a 4% sample. So, for context, again, the smallest of those is Destroy, 4.1%. That is 69 decks compared to 13 and 34 for Beta Ray Bill and Sheenot, right? Like, I, I'm not saying... <sighs> I'm saying I would be wary of that specific tier list at that point, right? Like, if you're if you're telling me Beta Ray Bill and Sheenot are the two best decks in the game, and they are followed by Hela, Lockdown, Destroy, Thanos, Loki, like, I would say those ones are probably the best decks in the game. Like, those yeah. are the ones who are actually probably the best decks in the game. And you could say, like, you know, maybe I actually had, I think, seven of those decks on my tier lists. Uh, but it's like, it's it's very hard to justify to me that someone should be playing Beta Ray Bill to climb High Infinite rather than any of the decks ranked below it there. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think if you're, and, new, if you're new to Marvel Snap and you picked up Dara's deck that he climbed to rank one with, I would expect you to have a negative win rate. The deck mm -hmm. is hard to play. It is, com it is completely predicated off knowing what your, what your opponent's deck does, the cards in your opponent's deck, uh, what they are, and where they will deploy those resources. Like, it is not a very linear deck whatsoever. I would expect you to have a negative one, win rate. There's one other issue I have with the data sites. And, like, obviously, I, I, I want to be 100% clear here. I am only ever just giving my opinion when I do a tier list. I do not pretend to be anything more than it's that. It's funny that people think that's not the case. <laughs> I, 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 don't want, I don't want anyone in the comments being like, KM, how can you say we should trust you more than a data site? I'm not trying to say that. You can absolutely trust a data site more than me. I'm just a dude, right? You are absolutely fine to do that. That is like 100% 
a-okay you are absolutely right to think that 100 percent. if you think that i have no problem with you if you jump in my comments to act like i have a problem with you then i have a problem with you but if one of the things that bothers me specifically about data-based marvel snap is that there is this idea that cube rate is inherent to a deck and is not dependent on how you play it mm. So the untapped tier list I know specifically is ranked by cube rate, which is, uh, in my opinion, like not a fake stat, but one that is presented as being inherent to a deck when it simply is not. Yeah. Decks don't have cube rates. You control your cube rate by snapping properly and retreating properly. You, the player, are the person who's in control of that. Now, I find that cube rates tend to vary heavily with how familiar people are with your deck. The deck, the cube rate is not inherent to the deck, right? Like a cube rate is very often dependent on people not being familiar with what you're doing. If people don't know what you're doing, you're going to win more cubes because they don't know what you're doing, right? Like that is, but the idea that that is somehow representative of a static description of how good the deck is is fundamentally misunderstanding what cube rate actually is, right? And I I think that that is, I would say, one of the larger objections I have to the way data is used in Marvel Snap. So I I I really just want people to like understand the limitations of data stuff and why I feel like it is important for me to provide what I do because. I would rather listen to me than listen to untapped. That's where I'm at. That is what I would rather do. I would rather net deck a player doing well than the aggregate of players in 50,000 rank infinite. That is just my perspective. Mm. All right. Next one is from Brandon. They say on the silver point poker and backgammon have have been around for hundreds of years snap for one snap for one year uh for starters secondly because the cards in the meta are ever changing i don't believe it can be truly solved which is one of the things uh that that it, it takes to make a great game solvers equal stale meta it's just in response to our conversation right, I remember. in regards to solvers and marvel snap just likely to be an impossible to impossibly complex game to solve and if it could be solved it would not be solved by the human brain it would be some sort of but even then, I don't think the tool can be created. Next one is from Mitchell or Michelle. <laughs> I don't know which one because it's Mitchell. It's Mitchell E. Lamb or it's Mich it's Mitchell E. Lamb or Mich Michelle Lamb. I just I, I don't know. It's uh, I, is there a T or a C? Uh, there's C. Oh, actually, I spelled it. <laughs> I wrote it in manually, so I spelled it both ways. Actually, I said you Mitchell spelled or it Mitchell. <laughs> Michelle. I don't know Jesus. which one it is. Basically, there's an there's an E after the L. Um, that's okay. either part of the, it's either part of the last name or not. And I don't know. So, oh my God. Yeah. Let us know. <laughs> Cause I, this, this person comments a lot and I've always been like, damn, I don't know which one it is. Um, but it's Mitchell lamb. That's like the entire thing or Michelle lamb. I, <laughs> I don't know. Anyway. Hey guys, hope you're doing well. Question. I'm sure I'm the millionth person, this millionth person to say this, but shouldn't the guardians be looked at for buffs again? Gamora and rocket might be the only ones that don't need it, but it's also never, uh, it's also never sat right with me that the rest get plus two if you soul uh if you soul read but she gets plus five 
Would you scale them? Star-Lord, 2-2 uh, plus 3, Groot, 3-4 three, plus 3, Drax, 4-5 four, plus 4, or would you scrap it for a different design altogether? I actually think the Guardians are really great for what they do, which is show you what the limits of, like, like, like they're very specifically vanilla plus cards, right? They are there to teach new players that, hey, if you take a risk, you can get more points than your stat line. Ooh, isn't that cool? Yeah, Groot and Drax are a bit underwhelming, but I, I and yes, I would probably put Groot to plus three because why not? You know, I think all that stuff is cool. But uh, mostly, I think that when people ask this question, what they mean is, can Guardians of the Galaxy be competitively viable? And yeah. I think the answer to that question is they really shouldn't be. Why? Why should they not be? These are starter cards. They're meant to teach you stuff. If these were competitively viable cards, that would be greatly upsetting to the balance of the new player experience. I would I would not mind them being buffed. I just think they should be absolutely banned in bot decks. Um, a proof. <laughs> you know, I think hear me out. I believe personally that they programmed the bots to play them randomly. Oh, okay. Well, the bots don't play Green Goblin and Hobgoblin randomly, and that's already tilting enough. I I I believe that they they specifically programmed the Guardians to be played on random. Bots. Okay, but because I remember uh, noticing bots playing them wrong, and it's like, wait, we know they're cheating. Why are they not doing it? I think they are specifically programmed so that it is not that. I think I think when they were like designing the cheating bots, they were like, all right, let's not have them do that. Everyone will hate that. That fucking sucks. So they they got rid of that specifically. And and then went from there. My favorite cheating bot line. There's a lot of them. I've got a lot of favorites to be honest. But one of my favorites because uh, it's recent. I play uh, Doctor Octopus. My cheating oh, bot yeah. opponent plays no cards. That. It's just yeah, like you can't you can't play Doctor Octopus because they understand all the permutations, so they know what the best play is to result in the most power disparity into that Doctor Octopus. Sometimes it's playing no cards. Sometimes it's playing one card to guarantee the right cards get pulled. They will always do the perfect thing into a Doc Ock. Yes. Uh, there is also my favorite one is the classic uh, Electra Nightcrawler. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. the classic. That's my favorite. Yeah, that is a classic. When Jerry and I were first playing Marvel Snap, that's how we realized it was going on. All right, our last one here is from Alkenhelm. They say I tried to play the Thanos deck for two to three days and had maybe a thirty-five percent win rate. Yep. Uh, no lockjaw, no mindstone, bad RNG out of lockjaw. Yep. Don't understand how people are winning with this deck. Honestly, even Hella is more consistent than this. Well, they're drawing lockjaw and mindstone. Yeah, and they're they're that deck. They're aggressively snapping when they do the thing the deck is trying to do, and then accepting that they're going to lose and losing as many cubes as few cubes as possible when they're playing when they're drawing like what you're drawing. Yeah. To like feast and famine. Fundamentally, deck. you you like. You absolutely can get unlucky for like three days in a row. That's I, I would say if you play enough Marvel Snap, it's actually a guarantee that it happens to you at some point, right? Like, absolutely, hundred percent. You totally can. You have to deal with that. Minimize yeah. the losses, maximize the gains. Do what you can. Yeah, it's a it's a very much a feast and famine deck, and I find that the players that know the deck well enough to snap in all of the correct scenarios are the ones that are successful with it. Everybody else comes back with the comments of having a 35% win rate and just getting absolutely dumpstered on it. And uh, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, it's been, <clears throat> I've had a similar experience with the deck sometimes. Um, like when, when Lambie kind of first started playing that deck a lot, I remember picking it up and I was like, what the hell is this pile of garbage? Uh, it took, a, it took a while for me to, and that was when it was broken. Yeah. And I just like, I was still, I was like, dude, 
If I don't draw, like, dude, I, I, I four six drops in my hand. What the fuck is going on? It's miserable. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a powerful deck. I just think that you have to be very very comfortable uh, knowing when to snap and when not to. Which sounds obvious, but like you said, I mean, it can feel like a thirty five percent win rate deck for sure. It just oh, when yeah. you have those thirty five percent, that's when you get the four and the eights. Yep. Yeah. Thanos' secret is that it's actually never a 35% deck. Like it's 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 actually more like a like this is the secret to why Thanos is good. It's like a 50% win rate deck with an amazing cube profile. Mm. That's what it is. Because it's like it's like this this deck is good enough that it'll probably win like half your games just by winning them, but like it wins some of them so overpoweringly that you get very good snaps. Mm. And like that's Thanos' secret, is that it's it like when it gets better than that, that's when it gets like super broken, where it's like this is a 60% win rate deck with a great cube profile. And like then you just get then you just get fucked. I, I will say I did talk about how cube rate wasn't inherent to decks. I will I will take a slight L on that. Cause like there are decks. Let me put it this way. There are decks that have better cube equity than other decks. But that is often not remotely represented in the cube rate stat. Does that make sense? The overwhelming determinant of the cube rate stat is whether people are correctly retreating against you. That's it. That's the overwhelming determinant of the cube rate stat is whether people are correctly retreating against you. And the number one way to make people not be correctly retreating against you is to do some shit they don't know what you're doing. That's the number one way by far. And so very often there will be a low sample size deck, monster cube rate, a deck doing something people aren't prepared for, monster cube rate. That is not inherent to that deck. So yes, while there are certain strategies that have cube equity built into them, it is not the same as the cube rate stat as defined by the data websites. Mm -hmm. All right, well, I want to hit on a couple lists before we head out. Um, first one is Dara's list. So Dara hit rank one uh, yeah. with this list. That's it's a Sarah tech deck like we talked about, and I think I swapped in the Jeff. So it's going to be Shadow Shadow King, Zabu, Armor, Lizard, Maximus, Killmonger, Mobius, Gladiator, Shang Chi, Miss Marvel, Enchantress, Sarah. Um, I maintain my my original point that I I believe that if you are newer to Marvel Snap or you aren't abundantly aware of what every single deck in the metagame is trying to do and what their win conditions are you will probably not have a lot of success with this deck. This deck is a knowledge deck. And for the record, I actually have recorded an interview with Dara to go up on my YouTube channel. So we're going to we're going to have that out probably, I don't know, Tuesday or something. My guess, Tuesday, Wednesday range. But I so I've, I've actually talked to him a lot about this list is what I'm getting at here. And I want to specifically zero in on the armor, because like one thing that makes Dara a good player and distinguishes him from even many other good players is he will play cards specifically for cube equity and snap equity, even if they're not the best cards in the deck. Because you are playing against a lot of people at high infinite that you know what they're playing. Mm -hmm. He uses that information very readily to make aggressive, aggressive, aggressive snaps. If you feel like this deck, for example, is favored in basically any matchup, but Hella, Darrow was talking about how he'd basically always snap before turn three, as long as he wasn't completely throwing the game away with his hand. And like that is the kind of thing that you need to do to actually succeed with this deck. Now, he's also probably playing it better than most people, right? Like, but I think the most unique thing about him is the way he snaps and the way he approaches playing the deck. Now, that 
said, I mean, yeah, obviously you would drop the armor, right? Like that if you're looking for the perfect version of the list, you drop the armor, but the armor is a cube winner. That's what it's there for. So find another card that you can use to scam people out of cubes. Daryl was talking about like, yeah, I run Absorbing Man, right? Because then I can beat hella gamers by going Zabu and Sarah and then Shang-Chi Absorbing Man and I can actually win those lanes, right? It's, it's not a good plan, but it's a high equity one, right? Because no hella gamer is ever going to expect it. You can get eight cubes out of that, right? Like this is the way he approaches building that deck is a very clever one. It, it, it maximizes what we were talking about. We talked about cube rate, right? It maximizes surprising people and that is a really good lesson to learn in my opinion yeah absolutely all right the the next one i want to hit or probably the last one here is just a super giant deck if you're interested in that card um kind of like what we talked about earlier but nebula zabu lizard maximus mr fantastic gladiator miss marvel super giant iron lad ronan the accuser alioth dr doom um when this deck doesn't play Super Giant, it doesn't get to do its alley out thing. Most of the time, it's trying to get priority before, uh, before and on turn four. Uh, so when you play turn five, you play something like the Ronin, and your cards don't flip. You see exactly where they play their cards, so you can immediately kill that with alley if you want, or you can guess where the the turn six card goes. Up to you. Um, ultimately, it's it's okay. Uh, like the deck can win when it doesn't draw Super Giant. It can. But your opponent probably also has to be on a bit of a low roll to do that. I mean, it does have the just the Miss Marvel package, um, which can it just can win games. And Doctor Doom uh, can also help spread power with that Miss Marvel. Other than that, it's pretty mid deck. But if you're looking to play Super Giant, this is uh, this is the list that I found to be the most enjoyable and the most successful. For what it was, this worth. Lambie's list. It was Lambie's list, but me and Lambie were shop were kind of workshopping a bit. Okay, because on... like I remember Lambie posted this list and he was like, "Bad deck, do not play." All caps. Yeah, I was in his chat that night and we were like kind of uh, workshopping some of the, the early scalers because the issue is like, it's it's kind of a pain in the ass to get priority, to be honest. Because like yeah. w- when you when you play Super Giant, when you play a four cost, four, five on turn four, because you have to play it on turn four to get the effect that we're talking about. That's a really shitty turn four play. So you're actually relatively likely to lose priority to something like an Iron Lad or a Miss Marvel that, you know, uh, puts points in the middle lane plus triggers on like the right lane or something. And then once you lose priority in that situation, it's just like, it's really bad. So somebody added Nebula uh, and Mr. Fantastic. I think prior to that, he'd had like Absman in there. I was like, ah, it's probably not working. We needed that early scaler um, in order to get priority. And the whole deck is like... you like play Maximus on two, like you, you don't care. It's like you just need priority um, to do the thing. But yeah, all right, I did. Uh, one last thing I want to talk about is Corvus Glaive, which is coming out next week. That's I, not uh, true. Call Obsidian is. Oh, it is. Oh, well, never mind. But I do Call Obsidian say, is this the new card according to the data mines at least? It's yeah, Call yeah, Obsidian no, then Corvus. Yeah, Glaive. You're right. You're right. The week after that, sorry, I was kind of already yeah. in the mindset of that that card was already out. But Corvus Glaive, I want to walk back my uh, my thought on it. A bit. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, was, did I Lambie think, get to you? He did. He did. He did. He he's told wrong. Me. Yeah, I know. He told me that you didn't believe him, but he's wrong. I, I believe him. So Lan- Sandman so, sucks. If he's ever going to be, if Corvus Glaive is good, it is not with fucking Sandman. I not swear. necessarily the Sandman, but but this is the point. Corvus Glaive is a three five. Says on reveal, discard two cards from your hand, and get plus one max energy. The entire thesis is that this is a second electro in your deck, and it just streamlines ramp. Your okay. Ramp, Congratulations on playing ramp. You, I played a Loki. I got all your shit. I'm doing it better than you. What are we doing here, man? Loki's not real. <laughs> like, what are we fucking doing here, man? Uh, it's 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 so much stronger. Like 
when he phrased like that, like I looked at this card and I was like, oh wow, discarding two cards is is way too much of a cost to pay. Um, but I think in the context of a ramp deck, you'll be it would be fine. So you will be fine, but it's also just like in the context of a ramp deck. Okay, congratulations, you played your turn three. I played my Loki. Meanwhile, I've been playing like I don't know Gladiator and whatever. Like I'm playing just big dudes into Loki, and you're just hanging out playing a Sandman on turn four. Like okay, man, nice Sandman. Like I don't think I specifically object, and like, like again, I don't think I specifically object to ramp. I like specifically object to Sandman. Okay. I think Sandman is perma ass. I think Sandman, Sandman wasn't in my it wasn't in is, my evaluation. <laughs> Sandman is just it's perma ass. And that's good because that card sucks. <laughs> Sandman is just like the other issue that ramp has is like I cannot figure out a single way that your Corvus Glaive ramp deck does not get heinously fucking owned by Hella. We'll see. Well, see. how many Loki? <laughs> how many? How many Loki gamers do you encounter generally while playing? Because I haven't been encountering. Oh, it's very... on an uptick. Oh yeah, it's on I an think uptick it's, right it's now. Been on, it's been on an uptick. Uptick. I think partly because you're streaming the deck. <laughs> no, it's not my fault. Dude, it's every time I lose to it's because every no. time I lose. Let me tell you. Every time I lose to a Loki gamer, you know what happens? Mm. I get pinged in the KM best chat. Is that true? Not every time, but it happens. Yeah, you should tell those people to never do that shit again. That's against the rules. That's not even a joke. It is against the rules. I, yeah. I told people specifically to to not do that. They're like, very that is they're a, they're very respectful. I think it's their first time. Like it's the first that, time we play. It's just funny that they're, they're. It's just funny that they're. It doesn't bother me. It, it's just funny okay. that they're also on Loki. And I'm just like, this yeah, look, is KM best gremlin playing Loki. <laughs> I will say this. I will say this. Uh, I think Loki right now is succeeding by virtue of Hella farming Sarah. Like Sarah is keeping everything else down. Hella farms Sarah. Loki matches up into Hella slightly better because you get like, you know, big idiots at the very least. Like for Sarah, the matchup's borderline unwinnable. For Loki, the matchup is not unwinnable. And that is a big uh, going from actual unbeatable to a, a real deck is is important. So that's why Loki has been on his uptick recently. Yeah. I need to I need to try out Lucky Lucky again um, as well. Anyway, if you're listening to this podcast, you enjoy it. Number one thing you do is leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We read every single review, and it's an, it helps us so 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 much. Um, there's a video version of this on YouTube at YouTube.com/slash at the underscore snapshot. Hit that subscribe while you're there. Twitter's on Brendan APG KMSMS KMS Streaming in the evenings. evenings. Yeah, it's, and, it's gotten even weirder. Like. I'm doing longer streams and at even later times. I, I've, I've become even more degenerate over time. By the way, you said the number one thing you can do is leave us a review on Rate This Podcast. The number one thing you can do is PayPal me $10 million. Uh, but the number two thing you can do is leave a review on Rate This Podcast. Is, is KM going to give give Phoenix Force another try? Is that... Is that eh. It depends on how much Loki there is, right? Like, if I see, like, you know... We're back in Loki mirrors. I will consider it. Yeah. To be fair, today, uh, right now, uh, I know that there's the Super Bowl, but it's mm. there's uh, Olympia is the hot location. Ah, uh, yes. I yeah. already decided not to play. Really good location <laughs> for Phoenix Force. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> not happening. That shit is not happening. I am not about that life. Yeah. Enjoy the hella gamers. Um. Anyway, I'm gonna go enjoy the Super Bowl later, yeah. dude. And thank you all so much for listening. We'll see you next week.